Welcome to the Redeemer East Harlem podcast. We pray this message leads you both to know and show the love of Christ in all areas of life. We will now dive into our scripture reading, followed by this week's message. Good morning. Our scripture reading comes from Psalms 18:46 through 50 and Revelation 7, 9 through 10. The Lord lives. Praise be to my rock. Exalted be God, my Savior. He is the God who avenges me, who subdues nations under me, who saves me from my enemies. You exalted me above my foes. From a violent man you rescued me. Therefore, I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing the praises of your name. He gives his king great victories. He shows unfailing love to his anointed, to David and to his descendants forever. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. So good to be with you all. Ooh, got a little feedback there. One of the things I'm so excited about being able to process uh, with you today is kind of the main thing. If we get the... Yeah, we're so close. Are we there? Okay. I'll switch over to this. I don't know what's going on with that mic. Um, that is better. Okay, there we go. So good to be with you all. So grateful that we get to jump into uh, just for a few moments, considering what has ultimately been a major theme of today. One of the really wonderful and beautiful realities of who Jesus is, is the reality that he is the one who rules and reigns above and uh, over all nations. That we serve a king who is a king of all nations. Now, if you've been with us over the course of the last several weeks in our Advent series, uh, we've been taking a look at various Psalms that uh, speak of Jesus, the coming Messiah. One of the beautiful things about Advent is that we have the opportunity now, as we uh, await the coming of Jesus' second, uh, his second coming, his return, we have the opportunity to be uh, reminded of the promises of God that were fulfilled to God's people many years before the coming of Jesus, fulfilled in the coming of Jesus, so that now we can have a confidence to know that just as God was faithful to his people in the past, he's going to be faithful to his people now and again fulfill his promises. Jesus is going to return. And one of the things that we see in this psalm, here in Psalm 18, is the reality that Jesus is a king of nations. And why is that important? Well, let's, let's uh, understand why that's so meaningful by taking a look at actually two things that we see in the psalm. First, we see that Jesus, he's a king of victory. But then second, as we see him as a king of victory, we also begin to see him as a king of nations. Let me show you what I mean. So first, in the first part of our, uh, the passage that Hannah just read for us, we have this song that's being sung by King David. David had been uh, assailed by many enemies uh, unjustly uh, as they sought to kill him. And in particular, this psalm is uh, speaking about a plot that was made against him by King Saul, if you know that story. And I only provided a very short section of the psalm. It's actually very long. But all throughout the psalm, David honors and worships God for his great protection. 
He's thanking God for the victory, so to speak, that he had experienced. Now, what's interesting about what we just heard read is that David acknowledges that his victory is his, but that it really only came by the hand of God. In other words, David understood that though he was in a way involved in the victory, right? he experienced the victory, he had benefited from it, the victory itself nonetheless was a sheer act of God's grace. And you see that all throughout the psalm. Plus, look at uh, the very last verse. Verse 50 says this. He says, he gives his king great victories. He shows unfailing love to his anointed, to David, and to his descendants forever. Here's what's interesting about that statement. God's gracious salvation is not only for David's sake, but for the sake of all those who would come after him. In other words, there's a, there's a victory that will extend well past David and his rule in Israel. It's a rule that is going to uh, last forever, a victory that will last forever. And what I find amazing in this psalm is that in the psalm, in his song, it's not pointing us ultimately to David, but David's really highlighting this notion of his descendants. Why is it so important that David is making much of the descendants that would come? Well, in the opening chapter of the Gospel of Luke, Luke records when the angel comes to Mary to tell her that she was to be the mother of the Messiah. Let me just read for you what the angel says to Mary. And keep in mind everything we just said about David. The angel says that you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High God. Then he says... The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Here's what's amazing. This psalm, Psalm 18, a psalm about a victory accomplished for the benefit of God's people, but comes by a sheer act of God's grace, is not only about what God does in the history of Israel or in the life of King David, but of what God was going to do through a far greater king, a king that would come from the line of David. This psalm speaks of Jesus. Jesus is the one of whom David sings. Jesus Christ is the one who will accomplish a great saving work for his people by an act of sheer grace. And this is why we celebrate Christmas, because of the coming of Jesus and this gracious work of salvation that he accomplishes. And it is this dynamic that is central to the Christian faith, a salvation that is an act of sheer grace from God. But all that said, who exactly are the people of God for whom Jesus accomplishes this victory? You know, if you know the context of the psalm, these were uh, the psalms in general, these were songs that were sung by the Jewish people in Israel. And Jesus was to be the Messiah of the Jewish people in Israel. So to whom then does this victory apply. Well, that comes to our second point, which is Jesus is not only a king of victory, he's also a king of nations. Look at verse uh, 49. It says, therefore, I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of your praises. Uh, I will sing the praises of your name. It's interesting that David is making a point about proclaiming the praise of God among the nations. In some sense, it could be, uh, one could say, well, you know, who cares? David, is, he's the king of Israel. The God to whom he sings is the God of Israel. 
The one to whom the psalm ultimately points, again, will be the Messiah of Israel. But here's why this is so key for us to highlight. Do you remember the promise that God made to Abraham many years before the psalm was written? The promise that established Israel as God's people. Listen again to what uh, God said to Abraham. Again, many years before King David. God calls Abraham and says, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. And I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And here's the key piece. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. In other words, God establishes this this covenant with Abraham that would make his descendants a great nation, but that that nation was not the only nation that God intended to bless, but through that nation, all the nations of the world would be blessed. The victory and salvation of Psalm 18 is not only for David, it's not only for Israel, but it's a salvation for all peoples. Which brings us to the other passage that Hannah read for us. All of that kind of brings us to the book of Revelation, which is this book of things to come. And in Revelation 7, there's this scene of a heavenly worship service taking place at the end of all things. And at the center of that worship service, seated on the throne, is the Lamb, Jesus Christ. And then verse 9 tells us that, behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from every tribe and peoples and languages standing before the throne, before the Lamb. And what does it say that they're doing? That they're singing a song, verse 10, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. People from every tribe, nation, and tongue singing of the salvation of God, the blessing of the salvation promised to Abraham, modeled in David, accomplished in Jesus, is revealed in the fullness of this heavenly scene. And I draw all this out today, this Lessons of Carol Sunday, because today we got just a little sliver of a glimpse of how beautiful that day is going to be. We got to hear God's words in Chinese and in Spanish and in Arabic and Tagalog and English. Why? It's because there's no language of Christianity. There's no culture of Christianity. There's no nation of Christianity. There's no socioeconomic status of Christianity. There's no racial or ethnic group of Christianity. And for me, this is one of the most compelling arguments for the Christian faith. And the reason being is because no other world religion or faith community can claim such a thing. I mean, nearly all other world religions are bound by language or region or cultural expression. The Christian faith, however, has no man-made boundaries. I mean, for me personally, in my own heritage, which is a complicated one, the Christian faith is for my Naga family, my Lebanese family, my Chilean family, my European family. You know, it's for many of you. It's for your Korean people, your Chinese people, your Haitian people, your Mexican people, your South African people, the Jewish people, the Palestinian people, the Russian people, the Ukrainian people, all peoples. The Christian faith speaks of a king who rules and reigns over nations. And I don't know exactly how this is going to happen, but all people, all peoples will bring a redeemed version of their language and culture into a heavenly creation. I don't know what that looks like. 
I don't know what that means. But I know that Revelation 7 says that around the throne, those worshiping the king who sits on that throne will do so in their own languages. I don't know how God makes that possible, but what I do know is that because Jesus is the king of nations, we will have the opportunity to see a unity amongst God's people from every tribe, nation, and tongue that we do not fully experience now, that God gives us little glimpses of now, but that will be fully experienced one day. And while there's going to be countless differences amongst the people around that throne coming from every nation, there's also one similarity that unifies them all. And that is, Ephesians 2 tells us that salvation has been accomplished by Jesus for the nations. That salvation is one that is received by faith. It is not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, an act of sheer grace. Everyone around that throne will have known a salvation, a victory accomplished by Jesus as a result of his grace toward us. And so regardless of what the differences might be amongst God's people, they are nonetheless a people, one people by faith in Jesus. In this Advent season, as we celebrate Christmas, let's not forget that the, the baby in a manger, a baby who was born and raised in an oppressed land amongst an oppressed people, in a land that many thought very little of, is also a great king, a king of nations, a king worthy of our worship and our praise, worthy of our lives. That's who we celebrate today. And my encouragement would be to all of us to look upon the glory of that kind of king, the glory who, the, a king who rules and reigns over all peoples, would we then, as a result, submit our lives to him? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the greatness of your majesty. And we thank you for the sending of your son, our king, the one who is a king over all peoples. We thank you for these little glimpses that we get to have, where we get to see just a sliver of what it's going to be like around your throne one day. Lord, I pray that we would be encouraged by the glory of our King. And that as a result, we would live lives worthy of that glory. Live lives of submission before him. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we take just a moment, as we shift to our time of confession and repentance my encouragement would just be to do this. In a moment, we're just going to take uh, a moment of silence for us to consider how we might give our lives more fully to this king of nations. And there's a couple of things that come to mind for me. I think for some of us, we might need to actually use this time of confession and repentance to actually repent of one very obvious potential consequence of not seeing Jesus as a king of nations, which is that maybe we have allowed our own culture, our own cultural preferences, to cloud our vision of the King of Kings. And I say this because there is a pervasive nationalism that continues to grow that really does attempt to culturalize our King of Kings, to assume that Jesus is some kind of particular culture, and as a result, it really does play out in forms of bigotry and xenophobia and idolatrous nationalism. So I'm just gonna name it, maybe for some of us, we actually do need to bring that idolatry, that sin, before the Lord.
But maybe for others of us, we have, um, we have just too small a vision of Jesus. We don't see Jesus in the grandeur of his kingship. And as a result, that's impacted the way that we live our lives before him. And last, maybe for some of us, maybe we've just never given our lives to Jesus. And maybe today, when we imagine the grandeur of what he is accomplishing, it's drawing us toward him in such a way that we actually do want to give our lives to him. Regardless of where we might be for the next few moments, just for a few seconds, let's come before him in a posture of confession, of repentance, and maybe name the ways that we have not truly saw him and lived in response to him being a king of nations. Let's do that together just for a moment. Father, we remember that you are a God of great grace and mercy, a God of forgiveness, that as we come to you in confession and repentance, we know that you are a God who hears and desires to forgive. And so for those of us with faith in Jesus, would you bring a confidence to know that we are forgiven in him? We ask all this in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Redeemer East Harlem podcast. For more information on our church and how you can support what God is doing through our church, go to www.reh.nyc.